Welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. Uh, the meaning in life is often eclipsed. The eternity is eclipsed by this world and all that we have to deal with. And uh, just last week, we kicked this off. We introduced quite a bit of stuff, and uh, we're discovering the meaning of our meaningless life. As uh, the teacher Solomon is instructing us, the one who did all these experiments on earth, trying to find out the meaning of life, he indulged himself in everything, left his pure devotion to God, and he was also the subject of all the experiments that he did. So he is quite knowledgeable, and of course this is the wisdom literature that we are gleaning from, much like Proverbs and Song of Psalms. So there, here we are, we're uh, looking at life under the sun, as Solomon would say. Life, in other words, without connection or revelation from God, a worldly life, a life that's blinded in a sense by all that we experience. And so today we're calling this Turning the Page. He uh, travels through quite a bit of territory here in the next couple chapters from uh, seasons, how we handle those seasons that we're in, maturing through them as well as finding meaning and joy in the midst of them. And two, we flip the page into the wickedness that surrounds us with the injustice and how that even bleeds into relationships. So you got a lot of here about God and his people that we're traveling through. Seasons are important. I talked about this a couple weeks ago when I talked about Lori and I's 30 plus years of ministry and journey in life and the last so over 16 years here. Seasons are very important. Like you don't want to wear flip-flops in January, especially a couple weeks ago, and it was freezing outside and snow everywhere. You could get frostbitten, lose some toes. I've been at our youth meetings, which has been a lot of fun, and a couple weeks ago when it was like 26 below or 30 below, whatever it was outside, the deep freeze. We're having food in here, you know, before the youth service, and kids are all eating and stuff, and then I look outside, and there's a bunch of them out there throwing the football. It's a summer sport, as far as I know. I don't know what's going on, but this is Alaska, and our kids function differently than the rest of the world. Now, I look out there, and there's a couple teenagers in shorts. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And their legs are blue, but they're just happier than ever. They're, like, jumping around, laughing like nothing. I thought, man, I just, I can't do that. I, I'm definitely not that tough. I guess if your legs go numb, you know, I guess you can do it. But uh, you got to know the seasons that you're in so you can act accordingly, right? Not, if not, you're going to be working against God and his ordained rhythms that he gives us in life. It's really important. Uh, if you have an apple tree in your yard that the moose hasn't gotten to yet, well, you're not going to go out there in the middle of January and start screaming at that thing to bear apples. Come on, what's wrong with your tree? It's just not going to happen. The tree's like, I'm dormant right now. I don't hear anything that's going on. I'm sleeping until summer. Kind of like bears, they hibernate in season for a reason, all right? Seasonal 
uh, that God sets up the physical seasons in life, spring, summer, winter, fall. We get at least two of those in Alaska, summer and winter. I don't know what happened to the other two, but we don't get those often. But we get two of them, and that's where we live. And there's a reason that God has done that, and he sets up seasons also in our own lives we have to pay attention to. And so physically as well as spiritually, this is important. And this is how Ecclesiastes 3.1 begins. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. So true. Remember the hit song, To Everything There Is a Season by the Birds? 1965. It was a hit song. All the older folks are going, yep, I remember that one. You might still hear it. It's a catchy tune. I'm sure our, even our teens, our youth have heard it because they play it still. Um, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill. Last time, I, last service I said, time to kill, time to steal. Like, is there ever a time to steal? No, it's supposed to be time to heal. You just don't, you know, there's never a time to steal. Let me get that straight, all right? Not, uh, but there's it, a time for everything in, the, in, the, in their season, is the song. So we learn to discern through life what season we're entering and what season we're leaving, hopefully. And, you know, there's times when you're laughing and then there's times when you're weeping and you could fill in the blanks why that happened. But the key is knowing what season you're in, just because what went well yesterday when you laughed and you danced and you were planning things and life looked great does not mean the same thing or actions are required for today that you're in because it could be different. Uh, this is a challenging, I think, especially for guys because we're doers, but normally what we do is we reduce life down to how we do things based upon what worked in the past. And what not worked. But the problem is if you enter a new season and you try to do what worked in the past to the season you're in today, it might not work out so well for you. So you gotta you gotta pay attention. You know, there's clear markers. Hopefully there there often are clear markers of when seasons you're exiting and seasons you're entering into. Every year you have birthdays. And uh, you have a cake or something, you open a present, there's a marker, there's a clear marker. Clear marker, and you're going through school, you have class pictures, and uh, you look back at those, and one picture, you don't have a tooth, you know, and next picture, your hair is different, long, and you see the maturing and markers, the clear markers. You get your driver's license, boy, that's a clear marker, isn't it? You get this photo ID, and that's a big accomplishment for a young person. It's like, wow, I'm driving a car now. And, you know, in heaven, all of the angels evacuate heaven and come down and, you know, so these are clear markers. Same thing when you graduate from high school. That's a big one. You get a diploma. That marks something. You get married. Boy, is that a marker. Woo! That'll change your life. You know, you get a, you get a marriage certificate. You got to go to the courthouse for this thing, right? You got to get the governmental stamp and as well as got to do your spiritual duty before the Lord and you... Because this is a covenant relationship you're entering into between your spouse and God. And so this is, this is huge. These are clear markers. And those are helpful because if you don't have clear markers, well, you don't really, you're unclear what season you're exiting and what season that you're going into. And, and people, this happens to people, they get really confused in life. Life just seems to be more clear and work better when there are those moments where you clearly identify 
which door is being closed and which one is being opened. This has been lacking, we know. This has been something that we've had to deal with for quite some time concerning boys, boys becoming men. There are ceremonies, actually, that people go through. They, they've done these in churches, and, and maybe, maybe those should be highlighted. I don't know. Maybe that should happen more often. But there's a transition that doesn't happen for many boys, and they're still caught in adolescence, and you see childish behavior and lack of responsibility happening, and they're stuck in the wrong season, they're confused, they're unproductive, and you see them circling like in a cul-de-sac over and over again, going nowhere. And believe me, you can, you can look at people, you can tell, you, I've seen men in their 40s and 50s, and they're still circling. They haven't, gone any, they haven't done anything, they haven't gone anywhere. It's, it's an utter disaster. It's a travesty. Uh, so, look, there's nothing wrong with acting like a child if someone's a child. But the problem is when they're an adult and they act like a child, which can happen when people don't know what season they're in and what's required of them. So life over and over uh, has these seasons. Now, as you read through these, this third chapter, you get the sense that, um, well, in most of the chapters, that Solomon, is a, he's a bit frustrated by the weariness of life and the labor that we're caught in. He mentions labor quite often. And uh, it seems like what we do gets undone over and over again. I don't know if you have a job like that, that you come to work on Monday and you discovered a lot of things that you did are undone. And you're, and you're like, who did this? You know, and I got to go back and fix it. And uh, you're, you know, if you're a mom and you've got a big family and kids, you know, it seems like the laundry is never done. It's always being undone. You do it, and then it's, there's another pile. I, you know, in Alaska, when I'm mowing my grass, I have to mow it every three days, it seems like, because I get it all done, and it looks great. And then the three days later, you go, wait a minute, I already have to mow this again? It's all this daylight and fertilizer. Uh, it's undone. It's, winter, winter really gets us, especially us guys. You know, you, you, got that, you, have, you have one of those driveways where when the wind blows, you know that within a couple hours, you're going to have this drift across your and it's in the same place every time. And so you get out there because you want to get that thing out of the way before it hardens up. So you shovel it, and you get done, and then you turn around, and it's already back. And it's un you got to do and, un and fix what's being undone again. And life is that way at times. It just requires constant upkeep in all that we do. And you sometimes feel like, am I wasting my time and energy in this fallen, challenging world that's continually breaking, and you got to fix it and go back again and do it. Thankfully, we got a God who, Solomon says this, he makes things all beautiful in time. But for now, we have to continually trust God as we move forward in life by faith, one day at a time, because, you know, in eternity, when we're with him, we're going to see everything from his vantage point, above the sun, not beneath it where everything's eclipsed. So when you're following Jesus, we know God does not waste anything. The good, the bad, the ugly, the rough, the plain, the ups and downs, and the pain. The, the, he's able to transform our lives through everything to fulfill his good purpose and his good will. We have a God who uses everything, and it's wonderful. Everyone, every day, every minute, every opportunity, he bends it back towards his will. He has a way of bending it back towards his beauty somehow. Now, if we're not careful, we can spend much of our time 
as Solomon alludes to this, looking back with regrets and toil and, well, looking ahead to what we are planning to do and how we're going to get there and we miss the present. Living in the present with a sense of God is with me now and there's joy that he can give me in the present and there's a way I can enjoy the journey and what he is accomplishing in and through my life and the whole process. Because God is always doing something. Long as you are alive and breathing. You know, this is hopeful. If somebody's on their deathbed bed, and they're incoherent and you wonder, gosh, they're hanging on for another day. Let God do what God's doing. As long as that person's alive, he's doing something in their life. Never forget that when you're in that situation or know somebody. Comfort them with those words. God is doing something. He's doing something. Ecclesiastes 3, 9 through 13 kind of wraps up what I just talked about in the sense is what gain has the worker from his toil? <laughs> Do things, it gets undone, right? I, I've seen the business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. So, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning and to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat, drink, and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man, and it is. So Solomon's challenging us, look, enjoy the present. Know what season you're in. Trust God in the midst of that season and find a way to be happy and enjoy it with the people you love. I mentioned that last week. You build a lot of memories, not because of things you do, but because of the people you did with those things, the meaningful people in your life. That's where the memories come from. That's what makes them so wonderful. We are being encouraged to take the time to enjoy people and be happy and make memories and don't be childish, don't be immature, but mature through the seasons while at the same time you remain, keep that childlike faith and trust in God in your journey. He goes on in verse 16 and 17 to say, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness there was even, there there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter, for every work. And so he turns the page and dealing with this, not only is this life challenging in so many sense, but there's, there's injustice everywhere. And we seem to have a front row seat to it because of all the social media and access that we have every day and every moment of every day. It's one of the reasons why vacations are good. You go on those, every one of those two-week vacations, you have an opportunity that it's not a staycation, but you actually get out of the state. You go somewhere where maybe there's a palm tree and some warm water. And uh, it's a place that you could never find a snow shovel because they don't know what that is. They haven't figured that one out yet. It hasn't been invented in that sphere. Well, that's a good place to go if you want to unwind and disconnect. The only problem is you still take your phones with you. But if you're like me, if you get away any time and get able to spend time with people you love or family or extended family and you're having that time and you're away from the daily work and the worries and all the concerns that come with every single day that you have to deal with, you start enjoying the fun you're having and the disconnect. And uh, you unplug and you, you start relaxing and each day you get into your vacation, maybe it takes you seven days and you're going to be gone for 10 or 14. 
And uh, halfway through, you're finally getting it. You're saying, man, this is nice. I didn't even look at my phone yesterday. That felt kind of good. You know what? I don't even think I'm going to turn it on because uh, I'm really liking this separation from this front row seat that I have, the, all my daily concerns and stuff, and even the pain and suffering of the world wants to pipe into us, you know, from everything that comes across your phone. And it's a great feeling to finally get to that place. Um, you kind of don't want to put all that weight on your head when you're deep into your vacation in your mind and spoil what you, time you have left of, of relaxation. But unfortunately, the phone has to come back on and everything is right there again. The pain, the suffering, the mass shooting over here and this over here. He says uh, under the sun, there's a place of justice, there is wickedness. Place of righteousness, there's also wickedness. It's like, He's alluding to this, this sentiment, the world is an evil place. I think we understand that. Um, evil happens in the world, and you see people trying to get justice only to find that those in the justice system sometimes can be actually against them. And you wonder, is there justice? You see this on talk shows. This, this, you know, there's such a political pressure everywhere you go, and... and Everything's heightened. You know, you remember the January 6th Capitol invasion? It was titled. Not sure what it was now. Who knows? And you see people in that trying to get justice and whatever. And, and then you, by the time you read and hear stuff, you wonder, what was that? And, and uh, who is unjust and who's, just, who's getting justice and who's guilty and who's not? I don't know what's going on anymore. It's just so convoluted. This is the problem today. Sometimes the courts are corrupt, and Solomon's saying, look, let's be sure of this. There are good cops, there's good lawyers, good laws, there's good judges, but there's also bad cops, bad lawyers, bad judges, bad laws, and all that stuff mixed in. And someone, uh, you know, you've seen it, they a murder, somebody gets shot, some whole profile event happens, I don't know, a riot in New York somewhere, and and uh, it makes the headlines, maybe it was an officer involved shooting or something, and the, the media is going to run with a narrative that you know isn't going to have all the facts, so it's going to be slanted some way. It just happens that way, that's what with the world we live in, and people often watch that and rush to their own conclusions based on what little facts that they have. And it's really sad. And the only hope for ultimate justice leads us to our hope in God. Because we know God will eventually shake all that out. And everybody, everybody's got to pay the piper, right? Nobody gets away. Nobody does. The Bible says God's throne, the foundations of God's throne is righteousness, justice, and truth. Whew. Nobody escapes that throne. Everybody stands there at some point. Because he is the just judge, the ultimate judge that knows all judges and Justice will be final one day and may not be in this earth. Unless, of course, you discover Jesus and the value of repentance. And then you may suffer some consequences, but at least you've escaped the great white throne, right? <laughs> You're going to be all right on the other side. But God will judge. That's what Solomon says. He says, God will judge. You ever been out in a boat somewhere in a lake or... Prince William Sound, and you drop the anchor because you're going to fish. Drop that anchor down, and then all of a sudden you feel this 
kind of a good feeling, isn't it? Oh, we can sleep here tonight. We don't need to worry. We're, we're not going anywhere. That's what that statement reminds me of. God will judge. The anchor is dropped. <laughs> okay? This is, this is something you can count on. And this is actually one of the major things of Ecclesiastes is the final judgment. You know, points to Jesus on the cross, actually where our sins were judged, but also the great white throne, Revelation. There is, there is a judge on the throne. And uh, where those who really, us here, hopefully all of us, put our faith in Jesus, we're going to enjoy eternity with him. Those who reject Jesus, who kick the cross out of the way, that's the only way you can get to hell, reject Jesus, will, their fate will be hell. And there's, you know, there's a lot of things out there, teachings, there's this universalism, and I just understand that this universalism teaching, I guess it's getting pretty big out there. I guess it's a swirling around. Somebody just told me after the other service this morning. Uh, it teaches that everyone is, will just end up in heaven forever, and that no one will ever spend eternity in hell, and that's just not true. Uh, annihilationism is another one that it teaches that no one is going to spend forever in hell because we all just, you die and you cease to exist. And that's not true. Daniel 12, too, made it really clear. He says, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall wake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And he's saying, look, Christians are going to go to heaven and those non-Christians will go to hell. It's pretty clear. And the gospel, Jesus spoke of hell more than anybody else. And he's the author of life. And... Uh, not everyone, he says, is going to, who believes when, when he's speaking about eternal life will go to heaven. Because there's a narrow road, few will walk on it. There's a narrow gate, and Jesus, the good shepherd, is the one who opens the gate. And the only way you can get in through the gate is through Jesus Christ. He's all-inclusive. Anybody can come. But he is exclusive because he is the only way. And the Bible is very clear about that. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. And people say, well, what about reincarnation? You know, I, can, I got a second chance at this thing. I can come back again and I can be a frog or something. I don't know. It's silly. But Hebrews 9.27 says that it's appointed man to die once after that judgment. That's pretty clear. Don't you love the clarity of the Bible, the truth? Throws it down right there. It's plain. It's clear. It's black and white. It's very wonderful. Securing. God doesn't leave us hanging. Well, these are just some of the common deceptive teachings out there we would call doctrines of demons that Jesus says beware, beware of. Uh, the reality is that often justice does not come in this life, but um, people die without justice, unfortunately. And that can be frustrating. It's a frustrating reality that Solomon's communicating here. He's writing before actually the hope of Jesus Christ and the resurrection, though, right? That's before that. So he's like, man, I, I just can't, I just have this struggle of all fairness and justice being brought into this world. How's it going to happen? The kids, you hear your kids, they say, that's not fair. Come on. I mean, I've said that growing up, sure. But now as adults, we say, well, life is just not fair. Because we've experienced it enough, we know. Uh, it's all just kind of a mess. And we want injustice to stop. So as a society, we create laws and we, you know, elect officials and hire police protection and build prisons and we have wars to stop just injustice and that does need to happen. If we didn't do any of those things, how many know the earth would be a chaotic, crazy place? 
Of course, some of the largest cities in America now have become chaotic, crazy, full of fear, violent places because they have dismantled a lot of the systems of justice and law and order. And we see the fruit of that. That's uh, too bad. I mean, there's dumpster fires everywhere. Unfortunately, our system of justice is filled with the good and the bad. Imperfect, it's flawed. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Last week we talked about the statement of the world is crooked. Well, we know that, but it's also full of crooked people. So how do you straighten out a crooked world with crooked people? Because all sin and falling short of the glory of God and yada, yada. But thank God we have someone who was not crooked, who came down into our crooked world above the sun, beneath the sun, and brought a world with him that is not crooked. The kingdom of God gives us hope. Well, we get caught up on both ends, don't we? You and I, even in our faith, how does this play out? Well, when someone sins against us and we're the victim, we want justice. Yet, when we sin against somebody else and they're the victim, then we want some mercy. See how that plays out? But hey, that's the kingdom of God. We can, through Jesus, work that out in a beautiful way. Remember, Solomon's looking at, again, life under the sun from this world's perspective without this revelation or connection. And it's not going to look real good. The psalmist's point is that uh, no one's, back then, of course, no one's coming back from the dead. You know, they can't prove that uh, there is anything like a final judgment or an eternal state. You know, we're kind of left to fend for ourselves and just kind of roll that dice and see what happens. Uh, I don't know. Thankfully, Jesus Christ, good, powerful, amazing, merciful, gracious Jesus, solved this problem for us. And he came back from the dead to prove to us that there is life after death, that sin and death are not the final word, and that there is a new world coming, a beautiful world on the other side of death because of the justice of God, and that was played out on the cross of Jesus Christ where sin was judged. Thank God. He said, my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, and there's a time for every matter and every work. So death for all of us here, the believers, it's uh, actually a great relief. Because one day we'll, we'll come to our end, and we won't have to read all the bad news, and the horror stories, and deal with all the pain of victims anymore. He goes on to say in verse 1 of chapter 4, you staying with me? You hanging with me? You getting something out of this? Ecclesiastes? Yeah, kind of making sense. The light's coming on. Well, hopefully... Um, Hopefully, I'm not messing this whole thing up. <laughs> this is Ecclesiastes, you know. Uh, verse 1 says, Again, I saw all the oppression that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed. Oh, boy, more bad news. And they had no one to comfort them. On the other side, there was oppressors. There was power on the side of the oppressors, and there was no one to comfort them. Oh, my goodness. Well, obviously, that's, a, that's how it is sometimes, life under the sun. But for us, for you and I, I think there's a call right here for us to be the ones to bring comfort to those who are oppressed because we all suffer pain. We've all, there's people in this room, you have been through unspeakable heartache and tragedy and difficulties. And even if somebody brought you all the answers and explanations, it wouldn't help. It's not going to drive out the pain. That doesn't go away that easy. That's why we, we don't need the explanation of God. We need the presence of God and the presence of a friend. This is, there's nothing worse than 
when we go through seasons of grieving when you have to grieve alone. Grieving alone is not good. It's a difficult place to be. And we've talked about this. It's the ministry of presence. Uh, for us who are following Jesus, he provides an avenue for all of us here, whether you've experienced injustice or heartache or pain, usually by a person or an event, where we have to come to terms with forgiving. God has forgiven us, so we have the capacity to forgive and to let go and to turn things over to the just judge. And maybe that means letting God off the hook or letting somebody else off the hook. But it's the only pathway of freedom that you and I can walk in for healing and health and wholeness and be free and liberated. And Jesus has provided for that. But Solomon shifts the uh, thoughts over here and he starts again now. He bleeds into relationships and people, which is that's the test of life. This is where the rubber meets the road for every one of us in this room. You'll be tested in life through relationship. He says, then I saw that all the toil and the skill and the work came from man's envy of his neighbor. Talk about envy. Also the vanity of striving after the wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Talk about the folly, the fool. Then the one person who has no other, either son or brother. Yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with the rich. So that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and de depriving myself of pleasure? So Solomon's mentioning the envies, those who envy, and the fool, and the rich guy is never satisfied, and the world's filled with all kinds of people, and that's why you and I need to be very discerning of who you can trust even in your own life, and allow to get close. Henry Cloud's a great author. He's written a lot of great books. He wrote Necessary Endings, and he takes a chapter to discuss evil, foolish, and uh, rich people, and uh, of course, this is talked about a lot in Ecclesiastes, as well as Proverbs. You can go there and, and Search all this out, even in the scriptures. And the issue, when you're talking about different types of people, ultimately is not if we make some mistakes or not, or sin or not, or how intelligent, educated. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with the heart. The Bible's always going after the heart and addressing the heart issues. And so he mentions these different people. And here Solomon says, the wise uh, person knows the truth and wants to learn from it. They're teachable because they want to be more godly. The foolish person, they'll argue with the truth. They're not real teachable. They won't change and they remain stuck. And of course, evil people, they hate the truth and they want to bring harm on other people and refuse to change. And so we all have a little bit of this in our own life. We all do these three areas. And the Holy Spirit is always working these out of our character so that we can walk before him and mature and grow and become more like Jesus and become more discerning and make sure that we Whoever is, we allow close into our life uh, are the kind of people that, you know, won't harm us. Evil, evil people, Solomon mentions in verse 4, they're motivated by success out of envy. Boy, you put envy in there and you're going to have problems. They find status from their possessions, accomplishments, the way they surround themselves with other people, the car they drive and all that other stuff. Uh, that's what they're really after. Their success uh, is driven by covetousness, though, and jealousy and envy. Evil people rejoice when others lose all their possessions or suffer in their relationships or fail where they were winning. They don't like that. They, they think that's good. Take pleasure in others' pain. Best way to deal with an evil, evil person, you've got to distance yourself. Be careful what you, you know, give them information-wise, right? Or protect yourself. 
if possible, because they'll want to bring pain. A foolish person, Solomon mentions in verse 5, he says they're basically really irresponsible. They're prone to being lazy. Um, they refuse to learn. They're not real teachable. They repeat the same bad decisions over and over again. And they'll argue with anybody who tries to bring any help their way. Foolish people want the world and everyone to change so that they don't have to change. They're irresponsible. They know how to push all their responsibilities onto people that are responsible so that they can carry what they should be carrying. Uh, you know, get them to pay their bills and bail them out and stuff like that. Has anybody ever been around anybody like that before? <laughs> Has anybody been like one of those before? <laughs> um, you know, it's the, they don't want to endure the pain of their folly. They want somebody else to endure it. The best way to deal with a foolish person is consequences. Consequences can be very helpful. Uh, since arguing with them doesn't do any good, taking responsibility for them only makes them more foolish. Uh, the most loving thing you can do is shift the pain of their foolishness back onto them where it belongs. I think there's a saying out there, I read it someplace, that God will allow you to experience a little pain to keep you from greater pain. I mean, think that's, that's, you've experienced some pain, but thank God. It kept you from the greater pain. So this is what motivates them, the foolish, to change once life gets painful enough, all right? And then, of course, in verse 6, he's talking about the wise person. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after the wind. These wise people, they're intentional and purposeful. They want to grow in godliness. They don't want to make the same mistakes over and over again. Wise people receive godly instruction, correction. They're teachable. They want to make adjustments. They want to learn so they don't do the same foolish things over again. Uh, the wise people are two-handed approach to life, right? They're going to, one hand, they're going to work. They're going to be productive. They're going to be uh, responsible in one area of their life. But the other hand, they're going to love people, care for people, reach out to the hurting and the needy, embrace these kind of people. So they're not just takers. They are givers. And they'll leverage what they get in life to learn and to grow and to be more godly. And so Solomon emphasizes this great gift of friends and family in our lives. Well, evil people want to harm us, foolish people want to use us, wise people want to love other people. Wise people, uh, what they do is they see people as um, not a means to their ends in a sense, but gifts of God to be treasured, to be um, enjoyed, to be invested in. There's things that money just can't buy when it comes to relationships. Um, and there are people that will be driven by success and run over people and hurt people on the way to get there. Uh, wise person will leverage success to bless people, not use people to get success. That's a big deal. They don't use people as an ends to their means. There's this saying called the prison of success. When that's been their whole goal in life, they find themselves all alone in a prison in a sense. So this is, listen to Solomon as, he, as you're reading through this and he's talking. He seems like he's pretty lonely at this point, but he's sitting on a pile of money. I mean, what's going on? Solomon, you got everything you want. Well, both verse 9 and 10, he gets into this a little deeper. He says, two are better than one because they have a good return for the toil. If one falls, the other guy will pick him up. 
He says, but woe to him who falls down, doesn't have anybody to help him up. Woe to that person. Friends or family are for sharing and helping others succeed in life. I mean, what good is a boat if you don't have anybody to go fishing with, right? It's just, it's to, everything we have is for uh, a sense of sharing and giving and helping and loving. And this is why God's so joyful because he's the most uh, generous being. But friends and family are to be enjoyed and by sharing and doing life with. That God has given us. What a gift. Life has wins and losses. It does have ups and downs. It's got good times and bad times. We stumble and fall, and like he says here, you're going to have, at some point in life, you're going to need somebody to help you out. Sometimes this is emotional, spiritually, physical, uh, financial. But in a perfect world, uh, God told two people, this is in creation, he told two people, it's not good for you to be alone. In a perfect world. People need people. I need people, you need people. People need us. In our world, it seems like we pay, <laughs> we pay people to do things that family and friends actually should be doing. And then when you run out of money, then you're in trouble because then you got nobody to help you. Ecclesiastes 11-12, I'll have the worship team come up. It, he ends with this. As we kind of wrap up these two chapters, he says, again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, who will stand with him? A threefold cord is not quickly broken. You know, the world is a lonely place. It's, um, there are more people living now in years of their life as single than ever before, alone and away from family. And I think we thought maybe technology could help this with all the interaction through Facebooking and texting and emails and everything else. And, but actually, I think that, in a sense, actually creates a bigger barrier. It's, it becomes this substitute that really doesn't fulfill the need, as we said, the ministry of presence. I've noticed ever since covid there's still, I still see people that haven't come back to church yet since COVID. And let me tell you, they're not doing good. They're missing it. They're missing the design of the local church that God created for us so we can have the ministry of presence to actually be with one another. Uh, all these other avenues of social media won't replace this presence. God understands the ministry of presence. That's why he entered human history as Jesus Christ to be there with us face to face. Interaction. Sent his only son to prove how important that is. This is also why Jesus promises that I will never leave you nor forsake you and he sent the Holy Spirit he says who will be with you always to the very end. The Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the one who cleats himself to us. Which means I will be your comforter and I will be with you in your weakness. I will be there with you. I will never leave you. I will strengthen you and uphold you. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Talking to the Holy Spirit. He speaks to you. He gives you insight and revelation. He's always with you. You feel his comfort and his joy and his peace and his presence. That is intimate. That is presence. The ministry of presence. It's important. 
That's why in a hospital room, you walk in there and there's an empty chair next to the bed. Because family or friends should be sitting there for the one that's hurting. That's why it's set up that way. Friends and family are there for protecting. He says, though a man might prevail against one who's all alone, two will withstand him, threefold cord. It's not quickly, quickly broken. Now, the world is a dangerous place. There's evil people who want to harm us, foolish people who want to use us, and there's scammers out there who want to take from us. And Solomon uses this analogy of a fight or an assault. He says, one person, mm, I don't know, man, can't cover your back. He says, but two, now you got somebody to watch your back. Three's even better. That's why we say, I got your back. In the army, they say, I got your six. There's a reason for that. God made it that way. But I was, I was reading this, I was quickened this morning as I was kind of thinking about this. I felt like it was from the Holy Spirit because normally you and I aren't going to be out there, you know, in the middle of the street having a fist fight. I hope not. Uh, if you are at that point of rage, then we need to talk, okay? But um, hopefully, you know, uh, but really, what do you and I battle with? It's the mind, it's the battlefield. This is where the assaults come. Yeah, I mean, you could be in your living room, at your dining room table, and all of a sudden, accusations come. Condemnations, fears, fiery darts of hell, the Bible calls them. And you need some air support. Because it's the principality and the powers of the air, the realms of darkness, that you can't see. That's where the real fight is. That's why Paul says it's not flesh and blood. And this is where you and I need to make sure that we are not left unguarded, that somebody's got our back. Do you have two or three people that, that you've agreed with, that you're praying for them and they're praying for you? You have that sense of covenant and agreement with them. So you've got some air, air cover. Uh, this is spiritual warfare we're talking about. This is important. That's why the Bible says where two or three touch, agree touching anything, it shall be done by my Father in heaven. He uses the two or three strand cord. He says that's important to have that kind of commitment with one another because that's where the real battle is. Do you have air power, air cover? Do you have those two or three that will stand with you that you've made a commitment with? Super important. Never underestimate that. That is where the real fight is. The Bible says we wrestle not. Maybe we don't have people on our behalf wrestling. We're not wrestling. Wrestling for our protection. Lori and I got some great prayer warriors, and believe me, we feel it. We feel it. There's some times where I feel the prayer covering and protection. Didn't have that, boy, I wouldn't be standing here. I guarantee that. Mm-mm. We all need it. Let's stand together. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, I pray over this specific point that, God, you would heighten our sensitivity and our need for where the real fight is. And Lord, I pray that you'll provide those, that we'll be intentional to move out and recruit two or three people, even if it's one other to start with that they'll say, I'm going to be praying for you and you be praying for me. Lord, that can change life. That can change our life. That can change the environment in our home, the atmosphere that we work in. I pray, God, that we'll be intentional in taking that step in the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. 
For more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect, visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play. Thank you.